You know, I mentioned it earlier, and so I'll go back again and repeat it. You know, this Sunday marks the beginning of, of the Advent season, and the Advent season really is um, a focused intent on revisiting the arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By definition, Advent means arrival or coming, not just of something, but of someone important or worthy of note. And so for the believer, Advent is a celebration of the arrival of Messiah. And again, it is a focused time of reflection and celebration and anticipation, all centered around our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what Advent's all about. It's a reminder of his continual coming to us, his presence in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us. And so over the course of the next four weeks or so, we're going to revisit the four topics of Advent. Today we'll kick it off with hope, and then we'll follow with love, joy, and peace. And Okay, so somebody mentioned today, Pastor, your Advent is out of order. So, so for, for you who are, you know, like that, um, <laughs> we're, we're going we're gonna to fix that sometime this week. Um, that's, that's totally my fault. Okay, so it will, it, we will cover them in this order. Hope, love, joy, and peace. But I, here's what I want to say. I want to say that the, that the, the topics of Advent um, are good, but Advent at its core is not about these topics. The message of Advent at its core really is about three things. It's about the coming of Jesus to us. It's about the presence of Jesus in us and the return of Jesus for us. Let me say it again. It's about the coming of Jesus to us, the presence of Jesus in us, and the return of Jesus for us. And so today I'm going to talk to you about hope, the hope of his coming, and what this means for us today as followers of Jesus Christ. And so I've titled this message today, Hope in a Hopeless World. Hope in a Hopeless World. The dictionary defines hope as a, as a feeling of expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. It's a belief. Hope is a belief that something is possible. Now, here's what I want you to do. This is going to feel really academic today for those of you who have maybe heard this before. And there's a danger in that. Because how many of you know that God is always speaking? And you might have heard something the same way ten times. But today you come with a heart to receive and ears to hear and God speaks something entirely different to you through those same words. Yeah? Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so I want to caution you, don't, don't tune out because I'm going to talk about hope. Tune in, because I'm going to talk about hope. Amen? Amen. All right. So hope is, a defined, hope is defined as a feeling of expectation 
or desire for a certain thing to happen. It's the belief that something is possible. The antithesis of hope is hopelessness, having no hope or any chance of anything changing or improving. Hopelessness means it's impossible. Whatever you're faced with, whatever you're dealing with, it's impossible. I'm here to tell you that there's no shortage of hopelessness in our world today. We have it good in these United States, man. We have it good in these United States. All around the world, in our country even, in our state, in our city, there are people who have no hope. It's all around us. And, and if we're not careful, when we talk about hope and advocating hope, it could seem hypocritical, really, to talk about hope in the face of a hopelessness. But it's not. Pelzetta said this last week, bears repeating, when I pause like this, I'm not lost. I'm really listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say. I have a good friend of mine who's wealthy. We meet routinely. He told me about a month ago, he said, Greg, I have this sense of impending doom, and I can't shake it. He says, it's not about the news, knowing that North Korea has a missile that can reach anywhere in the United States. It's not that. He said, but I just, I look at life. And in a moment's time, it could change for us. Family, in, in my lifetime, I have seen the stock market crash. And I have seen people who are wealthy lose everything overnight. And it may seem like, you know, we can't be reached by it. But let me ask you this for your consideration. How many of you have and use debit cards as your primary form of commerce? Let me see your hand. How many of you don't? Let me see your hand. Only a handful of us. Handful of you. That's okay. I'm glad you do it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to strongly urge you that in these times that you have another form of getting your money besides a debit card. Because I'm going to tell you, one of the scariest things that I've had happen to me is knowing that I have money in the bank and go to access my money from that card and can't get it. Do you know that we are, we are, we are one keystroke away from no matter how much money you have in the bank not being able to get it? Overnight, it could happen. 
And so my friend was telling me, he said, man, I just, I have this, this sense of, of impending hopelessness, doom in our country, and I can't shake it. He's not alone. According to recent statistics from the CDC, more than 10% of Americans experience ongoing feelings of hopelessness and despair and despondency and guilt. That's a lot of people, man. And these are old statistics. You know, some things have changed in our country over the last couple of years. You can't hardly have a conversation now without somebody telling you that they're on pins and needles about what's going to happen in our country next. Amen? Yeah. 3% experience major and severe long-term depression, and this is just in the United States. And I told you earlier, I'll say it again, we have it good here, man. We live in the greatest country in the world. Okay, I live in the greatest country in the world. Do you live in the greatest country in the world? Yeah, we do. We live in the greatest country in the world. We have it good here. But many feel depressed, especially in this time of year, around the holiday season. And, I, and I've surmised why. Because Satan doesn't take holidays off. You ever think about that? Satan doesn't get time off for the holidays, man. Matter of fact, I think he works overtime during the holidays to bring depression, especially here in Alaska, man. Okay, let me, just be, let me just be real with you today. This time of the year is the most difficult time of the year for me, man. No sun. No brother likes sun. Snow. I don't like the cold, Rob. And it just seems to linger for long, like, for a long, long time. It's depressing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's hard, man. And listen, many of you might feel the same way. As a matter of fact, this time of gathering and fellowship has been good for us today, but there are some of you today that might walk out of here and before you get to the door, that feeling of hopelessness that you left at the door is going to grab you again, try to overtake you again. And if you've ever felt hopeless, you know what that feels like. I have. I know what it feels like. We're surrounded by hopelessness. So how can we hope to minister hope in the midst of all of this hopelessness? I've got some good news for you. You know, we all need some good news, don't we? I got some good news for you, man. Hope exists in this world. Hope is alive and well in this world. I'm going to show you why it is. The three greatest symbols of hope in this world that humanity has ever known and arguably the hardest to believe in all find their focal point in the life of Jesus Christ. And here are the three, the manger, the cross, and the tomb. Think about it. The manger, the cross, and the tomb. 
All three of these symbols give us reason to hope, family. How many followers of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand real high. Yeah, listen. All three of these symbols give us reason to hope. Can you dig it? I just went old school, man. I just went back to the warriors, man. <laughs> man, gosh. Woo. Okay, hold your meal, Pastor. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Advent is the arrival or the coming of something or someone important or worthy of note. The manger announced the arrival of Messiah. That's the first, the manger. The manger announced the arrival of, of Messiah. The hope of the coming of Messiah had long been prophesied, family. Long been prophesied. People had hoped for his coming. Listen to this psalm that was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. Hundreds of years. Psalms 130. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Brother saying a lot of old lords, isn't he? Hmm. I could feel it with him. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Everybody say hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That was written several hundred years before Messiah even showed up. The people were waiting for him to come. They had great expectation. And they waited with that great expectation and in anticipation that he would come. And the manger announces his arrival. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Or chapter 2. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 2. Beginning at verse... Let me see. Let me find it here. Am I in the right place? Here we go. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. I think it's on the screen for you too. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. <laughs> Man, I tell you what. If I'm out in the field keeping watch over my flock by night, and an angel appears to me, I'm probably going to be filled with fear, too. Especially if you've never seen one. They were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. His arrival, the arrival of Jesus Christ in a manger signified the kingdom of God, God's reality breaking into humanity to establish a whole new reality. Remember Pelzetta last week talked to you about perception versus reality? Wasn't that good? We were living in a reality that was perception until Jesus came and brought reality. Chew on that for a little while. And the reality Jesus brought is teeming with hope for all of humanity. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, had come. And family, it couldn't come in a more critical time. The world was in chaos, man. It was in turmoil. There were wars and rumors of wars. God's people were under heavy persecution from the Roman Empire. And listen, they were powerless to do anything about it. They were powerless. Then Jesus steps in, begins his ministry. And when Jesus began his ministry, the world hadn't changed much. It was still in chaos. Jesus was surrounded by suffering and pain and death and hopelessness. But here's what I love about our Savior. Here's what I love about a man. Instead of avoiding the pain, he steps into the pain with us. Instead of coming as a king looking to be served, he steps in as the servant king. Instead of looking to draw attention to himself, he comes with the, with the understanding that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He didn't come to draw attention to himself. He came to draw us to himself. Look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. Begin at verse, I said verse 5, but I think we'll go back to verse 3. It might be up on there for you. Yeah. Since he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus Christ steps right into the middle of our pain and our suffering and our hopelessness. And in that time that he steps in, he brings the people hope. That hope is still available to us today, isn't it? That's the good news of the gospel. And Jesus did this even though he knew that it would cost him his life on the cross. And that's why the cross is a symbol of hope today as well. 
Because the cross reminds us of his atonement for our sin. When Christ arrived on scene, mankind was hopelessly lost in sin. Watch this now. Was helpless to do anything about it. We were helpless. Scripture tells us that the ransom for sin is death. The writer of the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sin. The cross is a symbol of hope because it represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ as atonement for our sin. And his sacrifice was necessary so that we could be restored to fellowship with the Father. Man, The cross, a symbol of hope. Listen, I said to you a couple weeks ago in the Heart Matters series, in John 14, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Remember John 14? Don't let your heart be troubled, gang. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and if it wasn't so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Many people think that that's about heaven. Jesus was talking about going to the cross. Now, I say it has a double meaning. Yes, he's certainly going to prepare a place for us. We're going to enjoy it. I'll talk about coming back in a minute. We're going to enjoy it when he comes back to get us. But he was talking about going to the cross to reconcile us back to the Father so that we could have a place in his presence, Tommy. He says, I'm going to the cross so you can have hope of reconciliation with the Father. Amen? Amen. He said, but I'm not done yet because I want you to have my presence in you, not just with you, but in you wherever you go. And so, it's necessary that I go away because if I don't go away, then the comforter doesn't come. And when he comes, he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. I'm yelling today, huh? Man, I'm just excited about this. This is just, is it, I don't know if you guys are happy. I'm just ha- I'm happy myself. Okay, see, I, I have a tendency to have squirrel moments. You guys ever see that? You ever see that, that, that little kid on the bike? You know, he's riding his bike and, and, uh, and at the end, his father asks him, says, so, so how do you feel? He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm happy of myself. <laughs> okay, YouTube it, Google it, you'll see, you'll get it. But I'm happy, man. <laughs> oh, man, listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus and you don't have joy, you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm just saying. If you're a follower of Jesus and you don't have hope, you're not a follower of Jesus. I didn't say that you won't have times where things might feel hopeless. Mm, but I think it's Romans chapter 4. It talks about Abraham's life and it says, against all hope, he hoped because he had hope in Christ, in God. I'm going to talk about, see, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to talk about the promises of God that gives us hope in just a minute. Everybody say, slow down, Pastor. But I'm so excited. Man. This is a good word, y'all. This is a good word, man. Bless my heart. 
He says, listen, I'm going to send you the comforter. He's not only going to be with you, he's going to be in you. He's going to give you power. He's going to give you authority. He's going to be the expressed glory of God in you so that you can be the glory of God in this earth. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, we are the hope of God's glory in this world. Look at what he says. He says, to them, who's them? The church. Everybody say the church. church. To the church, to the saints, to the believers, to the followers, to the redeemed, to the forgiven, to the blood-bought, bonafide sons and daughters of God. Come on, somebody. I'm happy of myself. He says, man, listen, we're the hope of God. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, watch this now, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, you know, one of these days I'm going to be able to stand on a chair. You are the hope of his glory, Mike. You are the hope of his glory, Evan. You, Dink, you're the hope of his glory. Robin, Sarah, you're the hope of his glory. Jack, you are, especially you, Jack. Jack Masahara. You're the hope. We are, listen, we're the hope of his glory. The world needs us to be his hope. The world is hopeless without us. The writer of the Hebrews goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 28, he says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, the perfect sacrifice, I'll add, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly, everybody say eagerly, eagerly awaiting for him brings me to my third and final point. The empty tomb declares that he's alive and that he's coming back again. This is our eternal hope. This is our eternal hope. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your eternal. Everybody say eternal. eternal. This is not some whimsical hope that's fleeting based on circumstances. This is our eternal hope. I said this is our eternal hope. Amen. Don't ask me to say truth you know, another time because I'll say it. Don't tempt me, Mom. Mom said, say it again. Y'all say it. This is our eternal hope. Yeah, turn to the person next to you and say, this is our eternal hope. Well, y'all go on and preach it then. Let me just go ahead and put my book up. You got some, somebody come on up here and preach it then. I'm just joking. I'm finishing this message, man. Praise God. I know. Yeah, you're right. In this church, somebody would you. I, I, Pastor, I got it. You got to tag me in. 
Word hogs in here, I tell you, I love it. Yeah, it's our eternal hope. See, there's a difference between the hope of this world and the hope of the Savior. There's a difference. The hope of this world is temporary. And listen, no matter how you slice it up, it ends in death. That's the reality. That's what the hope of this world brings. No matter how you slice it up, no matter how good or how bad it is here, the reality is that this is as good as it gets for those who don't have hope in Christ, and the end of this temporary hope of the world is death. I believe it was Paul said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, life outside of relationship with Christ is temporary and ends in death because the payment for sin, the ransom for sin is death. The hope of our Savior is an eternal hope. The writer of Hebrews says that it's, it's a hope that's anchored in the promise of God. It's not just a, a whimsical hope of wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation. It's a reality. The writer of Hebrews says, as I covered this a couple weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. He says, it is impossible for God to lie. And in this, oh man, get this. If you don't get anything else today, get this. It is impossible for God to lie. And in this truth is the hope that is a sure anchor of our souls. That means, that means when the storms of life, now see, I don't go boating very often. Because I, I, I'm aquaphobic. My heart just starts pounding when the water gets more than about four feet deep, man. I, seriously. Okay, I'm, I'm a little rabbit trail here. So I was, out on, I was out in Whittier one time on a boat. Somebody invited me to go out on a boat. And he had a real nice boat, man. It was Bay Line. It was beautiful. Oh. <laughs> so I'm out there on this boat, man. I'm doing fine for a while, but I'm watching that range finder, man. And that thing, you know, the thing that does the sonar ping, that you find fish, and they tell you how deep it is? That thing said 200 feet deep, 400 feet deep, 680 feet deep. And then all of a sudden it said 1,550 feet deep. I said, man, I could drown like 300 times before I reach the bottom of that thing, man. I mean, realistically, you can only drown one time, but you get the point. But listen, man, when the storms of life come, like a boat that's on the water, that's anchored, that feels kind of good, man. I ain't twisted like this in a while. Y'all know I have back surgery, right? It's been a while. But like a boat that's, 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 that's in the water, that's anchored, that, that hope and the truth that God promised, and he, it, as in he cannot lie, anchors our soul. That's our hope. Our mind is anchored, our will is anchored, our, our imagination, our intellect, it's all anchored. And I hope that God won't lie. 
You cannot lie. The empty tomb is a reminder that one day Jesus Messiah is coming back. Get this now. The presence of Christ in this world proves, the presence of Christ in us, in this world, proves with certainty the promise of his coming. The presence of Christ in us, in this world, proves with certainty the promise of his coming. Here's what I want to just leave with you today, man. This time he's not coming. The next time he comes, he's not coming with the ba- as a baby in the manger, man. He's coming as a triumphant king, amen? So what does this mean for us today? Hope determines our choices. Our choices determine how we live. Our hope in Christ's return should provoke us to live our lives with a sense of expectation and urgency. Why expectation, Pastor? Because we know Jesus is coming back. Listen, I read a psalm to you out of Psalms 130 where the people of God waited with expectation that Messiah was coming. They knew in the part of him that, of them that knows things that Messiah was coming. And so they waited with expectation for his coming in much the same way. We who are redeemed, who already know who Messiah is, need to be waiting with great expectation that he is coming back to get us. Expectation and urgency. Urgency. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, that God is patient and not willing that any should perish, but that we all should come to repentance. Mitch, if you'll come to the piano, please. I pray this year that this same passion that God has for the lost becomes our passion during this season. That as we go over the four topics of Advent, that our heart is moved with the same passion that God has for lost people to come to relationship with Jesus Christ. Because lost people matter to God, and they shouldn't matter to us. So as we celebrate Advent leading up to Christmas, let's not forget the true reason of the season and that reason is that the coming of Christ gives us eternal hope. And so may you be filled with this hope, this Advent season and beyond. Will you stand with me? Let's pray.